Good morning. Good morning. There we go. There we go. Um, so. A great privilege to, um, to have a gathering like this where we, we take time to just uh, think about, you know, the, the, the gifts that God has given us um, and every gift that God gives to us that we are meant to steward well, that we are uh, meant to handle it in a manner that would be pleasing to him. And so to pause for a moment and to, to think about the children that God has given us is a great privilege. And so I, I love gatherings like this. I love services like, like this. They just really, really serve as a good reminder of how good our God truly is. We are currently in a series looking at the book of Romans, uh, looking at Romans chapter 8 to be specific. We've been journeying through this chapter the last six or seven weeks. Uh, we have two more weeks left. And then I just want to put it out there. On the 25th of November, we're actually celebrating, but we're, we're celebrating having kind of looking back at all that we've gone through in the book uh, or in the chapter of Romans 8, uh, but then also just celebrating the year. Uh, we're going to have some baptisms, which is a great thing to celebrate, but we're going to celebrate all that God has done, and so it's going to be a morning of hearing testimonies, uh, of singing together, of praying together, of having God's Word poured over us together, but, but really in a, a theme, a culture of celebration, and so I want you to, to note that, put that in your diaries, and if you can, please uh, come out and celebrate with us, invite friends, families, and colleagues. I believe it's going to be an incredible, incredible morning. What we're going to do this morning is uh, we're going to look at the end of Romans chapter 8. So we're going to skip three verses in the middle there. Um, it, it's not because we don't want to preach it or we're afraid of it. No, we just felt like uh, the way that Paul, who's the author of Romans chapter 8, the way he, he constructed this chapter, the way he was writing this chapter, we felt like it might be really good to end it well with that middle piece. All right, And so Kenny will come uh, next week and unpack it for us, and it'll make sense next week. And so don't feel like, oh my goodness, is he skipping three verses because he's afraid of those verses? No, no, no. It's just the, the way that the verse or the way that the chapter kind of comes together, uh, we felt like it would be best to do that. And so uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. It's quite a bit, uh, and so we're going to move quite quickly. And so what I'm going to do, as I do every Sunday, is I'm going to read the passage to us, and then I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to ask that you pray as well. As I pray for you, you pray for me, that God would do something more powerful than we can ever imagine right here this very morning. So Romans chapter 8 from verse 31. Hear these words of our Father. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, we are incredibly thankful for your word. We're thankful that uh, it continues to transform the individual lives of people. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do that this morning, that you would meet us where we are, all of us. All of us, Lord, are in desperate need of a savior. Many of us are running to different things, hoping to find life and meaning in them. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be clear this morning and would reveal to us that there is only one place where we can find this life and this life to the full. And that is in you and you alone, Jesus. And so, Lord, would you soften hearts? Would you prepare us? Lord, I pray against the evil one and his desires to steal, kill, and destroy. I pray against any distractions here this morning. I ask that everything that we do would be offered up to you in worship. It's to that end, Lord, I ask that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our king. You are our redeemer. Would you have your way in this place? In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Paul leaves us with in verse 31 is a well-known challenge. It's well-known for its grand expressiveness and its poetic passion. Paul writes in verse 31, what then are we to say about these things? Now, before I move on, I hope that if you've been here for a while and if you are going to continue to stay with us, that, that this would be clear to you. I want you to become passionate, aggressive in questioning the things that we find in the scriptures. And so when we read, what then are we to say about these things? Your question should be, well, what are these things? Paul, what are these things that you shouldn't just listen and go, okay, he's going to continue and I'm supposed to kind of assume what these things are. No, no, we should, we should aggressively and passionately ask questions as we navigate through the scriptures. And so when Paul writes, what then are we to say about these things? These things that Paul refers to is actually all of Romans, the whole book of Romans. And at least according to Paul, as he is writing this letter, he's referring to Romans chapter 1 to chapter 7. It's everything that he has unpacked, everything that he has communicated about who God is and, and, and why God does what he does and what that means for us. That for those who've crossed the line of faith, you are now children of God. That there's no longer bondage and that you are now free. You're free to to live in a way that pleases him, that honors him, that glorifies him. And in doing so, we find our ultimate joy. Paul says, referring to these things, because of these things, he then writes, if God is for us, who is against us? See, upon reading these things, and in light of the gospel, there is no question on whether God is for us. That's the point that Paul is making. God is for us. He is for us. There's no question that God is on our side. In light of these things, in light of the gospel, in light of all that he has done, there is no question. God is on our side. And so maybe we should be asking a different question. If God is for us, if God is on our side, then the question maybe for us is, are we on God's side? Are you on God's side? Paul makes it clear. 
that God is for us. You see, the, the beauty of this truth should push us to the heights of confidence. It means more than God being graciously inclined towards us. It means much more than that. It means that he is for us in all that he does. God is for us. You're going to hear this over and over and over again because we are forgetful people. It doesn't take too long to walk out these doors and then to be hit with life and then to question God's goodness to us. God is for us. See, we may be defeated at this very moment, but hear this, evil will never prevail. We are always being led to victory in Christ. That's what it means when Paul writes, God is for us. We are always being led to victory in Christ. But Paul doesn't just lay out this statement, this beautiful truth. He, he gives us reasons to why God is for us. He, he, he validates the statement that God is for us with three things. Three things. And I've got three points and then I'm going to be out your way. These three things are, are the things that we, we build on to understand, to live in light of this reality that God is for us. The first, Paul says that God with, with, will withhold nothing in taking care of us. If you want to know God is for you, he will withhold nothing in taking care of you. We see this in verse 32, where he writes, He did not spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? We sometimes read the scriptures too quickly. And we need to kind of slow it down a little bit and, and maybe even pause for a moment. Listen to what Paul is saying here. I mean, it makes logical sense. And if you grasp it, it'll change everything. Paul writes, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up. For us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? See, since God gave his only son for us, why would he withhold anything beneficial from us? If God gave us his son, why? Why on earth would he withhold anything else from us? Let me, let me illustrate it this way. If I was one day just sitting in the office working, and I got a phone call, and on the other end was uh, a sales representative who said to me, hey, Mr. Makatle, we'd love to inform you that Audi has just given you the new Q7. I would then respond by saying, who am I to uh, stop the blessing from the Lord? <laughs> what time would you like me to be present to now take ownership of this vehicle? We settle on a time. I tell my wife and my friends and family, this is a big deal, Q7, this is my dream car. I make my way to the dealership, I walk in, I see it there in all its glory, all wrapped up in that red ribbon that they love, with my name in there, Mr. Mokatle. I go to the salesman, I say, thank you very much, this is incredible, we take our pictures, load them up on social media, because that's what we do now, <laughs> selfies, hashtag blessed. I get in the vehicle. The next thing I want to do is obviously turn the key, right, where the ignition is so that I can start the car and make my way home. But then I quickly realize that there is no key. It's a little confusing. So I get out the vehicle and I go, hey, guys, I need the key to this car. 
And they say to me, no, we're not giving you that. Uh, wait, what do you mean? No, we're not giving you the key. You can have the car. The car's yours. But we're not giving you the key. That makes no sense. I mean, we sit here and we go, man, that's foolish. Why would... What that communicates is like the car is not yours then. God gave us his son. Why would he withhold from us his presence, his power, and his provision? And friends, if you're sitting here and you're going, well, it just feels like that, then you must question, you must question your salvation. You must ask the question, then have I truly received the son? He will not deny his power and presence and provision from his children. Paul writes it here. He did not even spare his own son. Do you know how much it took to, to give up Jesus? To have him crushed on our behalf. To have all of God's wrath poured on him. But he does it. Jesus stands and looks at the cross. On his way to Calvary, he, he stands and looks at the cross and he says, I will go. He knows all of you by name. He knows all the things that you've done, all the things that you're doing, and all the things that you will do. And yet he still says, I will go and I will die for you. I will lay down my life for you. And so in doing so, if he, if he gives that up for us, for the glory of the Father and for our joy, why? Why would he withhold anything else? I mean, it's almost somewhat meaningless if you think about it. I gave you my son. Why would I not give you joy? I gave you my son. Why would I not give you meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment? Why would I withhold those things from you? God is for us. And we know this because he will not withhold anything from us. Because he has given us his son. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything. Everything required for life and godliness. You want to know what the Greek word for everything is? Everything. <laughs> he has given us everything for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God is for us. And we know this because he will not withhold anything from us. The second point that Paul makes to us to, to validate that God is for us is by reminding us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Remember, he started the chapter by affirming this truth. Chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8 begins this way. For those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. But then he reminds us. He ties it all together beautifully by reminding us, for, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. In verse 33 to 34, he says, Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more has been raised he also at the right hand of God intercedes for us. And so hear this, friends. If accusations are brought against us, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. For the, the charges, the, the accusations are silenced by the pierced hands of our Savior. If we are to be condemned, it will, it will be over Christ's dead 
and now resurrected body, which is actually the very basis of our salvation. The fact that he died and rose again. That is what we anchor ourselves in. It's the very basis of our salvation. And so Jesus says on your behalf, hear this, Jesus says on your behalf to your accusers over my dead and resurrected body. Oh, friends, that should lead us to amen. A shout of praise, because, because think about it for a moment. It's our accusers who bring us down. It's our accusers who, who make us feel like, well, I don't know, is, is God really for us? Does he really love me? Does this, does this carry weight? Is this true? And it's in those moments we should be able to stand and go, no, Jesus has died for me. And not only has he died, but he's resurrected. And so your accusation carries no water. It has no place. God is for us. This should breathe oceans of confidence into us. Oceans of confidence into us. God is for us. He will not withhold anything beneficial from us. And he will not condemn us. He won't allow anyone else to condemn us. Because he's the one who justifies. Now the third reason that Paul gives us to validate that God is for us is found in these two beautiful words. No separation. No separation. God will allow nothing to separate us from his love. Verse 35 to 37. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Friends, verse 35, Paul, Paul doesn't just speak in theory here. He doesn't just give us theory. He doesn't go, you know, what, what do textbooks say that I can quote that will sound really, really cool? Paul gives us his testimony. And we all know this, that the most powerful presentation of the gospel is your own testimony. This is why I love baptisms. I say this every time we get the privilege and opportunity of baptizing people. I say from up here that their testimony is more powerful than any sermon I will ever give. Because it's personal. You're able to communicate all that Jesus has done for you. And so that's what Paul does. He, he transitions into now giving his testimony. He makes it personal. Because he knows affliction. He knows distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and the sword. He, he knows it all. Paul's been shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. Was in prison all for the sake of the gospel. He was living out of his identity as a child of God. And, and he, this is what it comes with. Paul, Paul was the kind of man, true story, see this in Acts. He, he rolls up into a city to preach the gospel. They don't want to hear it. So they beat him almost to the point of death. They drag him out of the city. They leave him there to die. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. I had two more points. I got to go back in. That, that's the man that Paul is. He knows this. And yet he still says, none of that will separate me from the love of Christ. No separation. No separation. Uh, permit me to, to, to take a, an off-ramp a little bit here. I'll be brief. 
this speaks against this movement out there that says, if you come to Jesus, everything will be okay. You will never be sick again. You'll never have relational struggles again. It's just going to be amazing. It's like hugging a cushion every day. (laughs) Now, trust me, I want to hug a cushion every day. But not this side of heaven. Yes, I stand in Christ and my positional standing is one of victory. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. That is a place of victory. And so I know where I'm going. I know how the story ends. But the reality is we're still living in a broken world. We live in a broken world. This is, this is why Paul quotes Psalm 44 verse 22. He does this intentionally because I believe that there was probably a movement back then of like, hey, come to Christ, everything is great. Everything is great, just come to Christ. And so he quotes it to show us that tribulations are things that believers will face this side of heaven. Christians have always lived on the fringes of society, on the margins of culture. Because think about it for a moment. The things that we do, the, fi- the world finds strange. Why do you choose to forgive when you've been hurt? Why do you handle your money and resources that way? They should be for you, and it should be about you and self. We're the selfie generation. And so when we come with the gospel and say, no, 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 the gospel compels us to a different life. It compels us to community. It compels us to sacrificial living and sacrificial giving. It compels us to love our enemy. You don't hear too many sermons on that one. And so society says, you're strange. You are awkward. How dare you tell me that there's a book that says that I am to live my life a certain way. And so expect tribulations, expect trials, expect suffering. This is why James writes in the first chapter of the book, I counted pure joy when we face trials. But even in those trials, there is no separation. There is nothing, hear me, there is nothing that will separate you from the love of Christ. And how so many of us need to hear that. Because we flood our minds with things that we've done. And we put on guilt and shame. Now, 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 we should repent of those things. We should acknowledge that, that those things don't please God. But we should also recognize that once repented of, the finished work of Jesus has handled it. And because Christ now lives in you, God sees Christ in you. There is no place for shame and guilt in the identity of Christ. And so there is nothing that you have done. And I'm not talking about 10 years ago. I'm not talking about five years ago. Some of you are plagued with what you did last night. You've walked in here wondering, I don't know if God really loves me because if he really knew what I did. No, he does. And he still extends his hand of grace to you. That's 
the one side. The other side is that there's, there's nothing that's been done to you. For some of us, it's not so much what we've done, but it's what's been done to us. The abuse, the hatred, the gossip. And so we're left wondering, does anyone love me? God loves you more than you can imagine. And that is evident because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus was crushed for you. Beaten for you. He died for you. And because of that, there is no separation. No separation. He will not withhold anything from you. No one can condemn you. And nothing can separate you. And so because of these beautiful truths, it leads to verse 37 where Paul declares, because nothing and no one can separate us, condemn us, or accuse us, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Some theologians refer to this or refer to us as being super conquerors. If you've ever wanted to be a superhero, here's your opportunity. You're a super conqueror because of what Jesus has done. And just in case we forget how we can become more than conquerors, uh, just in case we think it's by our own strength and, and our own abilities and our own intellect and our own resources, Paul slips in the humble card. It's what I call it, the humble card, which to some, depending on where you are today, you might receive it as a punch in the face with grace. And how so many of us need that. We need to be punched in the face with grace. We need to be reminded that we didn't become more than conquerors on our own. And it doesn't take too long to do that, to live in that space. Because you give your life to Jesus and then you follow him. You want to be obedient to him. Things start to kind of fall into place. Your character begins to change. It becomes more and more like Christ. You're more humble and, and, and you're loving and you're forgiving. And, and people naturally flock to that. It doesn't take too long before you stand and go, well, it's because I'm pretty amazing. Anya, how, how are you able to forgive in light of that? Well, you know, sometimes in life, man, you just need to, <laughs> need to think about, you know, the things you do. Hashtag Tiamo. I saw a gap and I took it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Paul reminds us that we didn't get here on our own. He slips it in by, by saying, yes, we are more than conquerors, if you keep reading, through him who loved us. Just in case you miss it. Through him who loved us. And upon this declaration, it's at this point that Paul lets it all out. If you thought... He had left it all on the floor. No, no. In this next few verses, he, he lets it all out. And it's in his charisma. He switches to now the first person. See, before he's, he's kind of communicating it almost as a theologian, giving us theological truths. But now he transitions and he, he, he becomes the pastor that we need. He says in verse 38 to 39, 
For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, what is Paul saying here exactly? To put it plainly, he is triumphantly declaring that death will not pull him away from God's love. Death will not pull him away from God's love. Neither will life. Neither will life and its, its alluring temporary delights. Nor evil spiritual powers. Nor anything in time, matter, or space. Nor the height of heaven or the depth of hell. Nor anything else. Not disappointment, not depression, not disease or broken relationship, financial crisis, not even injustice will separate us from the love of God. We live in a world that is so chaotic. Often, and this may not be you, it's definitely me, where I find myself standing and looking to the heavens and going, God, where are you? Where are you, God? And if I can be honest, if I can lay it all out here, if I can be vulnerable before you, sometimes I feel like God is being disobedient. I do. Why all the injustice? Why all the brokenness? Why all the depression? Why the financial crisis? And yet you say that you are for us. But it's in those moments where I've got to be reminded that nothing, nothing will separate me from his love. That he loves me. He cares for me. God is for us. And some of you need to insert your name in there. God is for you. He is for you. In spite of everything that you're going through, he is for you. He loves you. He's a loving father who cares for his children. And he hears everything you cry out for. Even as we saw last week, even when we can't, like there's, there's no words, the Spirit comes alongside us and groans for us. God hears you. He loves you. He's for you. And friends, we have to saturate our minds and our hearts in that. That's the place that we have to live in daily, regularly. That God is for us. Some of you may know or may have heard of a man called Philippe Melashton, a German man, a German theologian, an author, a humanist, an educator. And Philippe loved Romans chapter 8, verse 31, that God is for us. He loved it. See, Philippe was a, a true scholar, a gifted preacher. He was a friend of Martin Luther, the reformer. Now, I know many would know Martin Luther, but very few would know Philippe Melashton. They were great friends. In fact, some referred to Philippe as the gentler temperament of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was aggressive, passionate, and out there. Philippe Melashton was the more gentler one. A little bit like what Jono is to me. Because I know, I say stuff, and some of you guys are like, wait, what? 
I can't believe he just said that. How dare he speak to me like that? And then Jonah says the same thing. You know, I, I, yes. Where, <laughs> where do I sign up to give my life to Jesus? I just, I, I, I love it. See, Philippe and Luther were great friends. In fact, uh, Melushton, Philippe, gave the sermon at Martin Luther's funeral. But when Philippe died in 1560, his body lowered uh, to the ground, we can actually see that on there, on his graves, Romans 8, verse 31, he loved it. A story is told that one day, when he was sick, lying in his study, a pastor came to see him. And the pastor began to read the Bible to him, reading the scriptures to him. And as he got to Romans 8, verse 31, the pastor read it. Milashtan cried out, read those words again. Read those words again. And so the pastor read, if God is for us, who is against us? See, Milashtan declared, that is it. That is what we anchor ourselves in. That God is for us. And if he is for us, then who, who can be against us? See, this text had always been the greatest comfort to him. In the darkest hours, he's, he's comforted by reminding himself that God is for him. By reminding himself as he looks to the finished work of Jesus that God is for him. And so I stand here to say to us that this should be our practice. That this should be the soundtrack on repeat in our hearts. That God is for us. That God loves us. That God cares for us and will not withhold anything from us. That, that no one can accuse us because God has justified us in Christ Jesus. That nothing will separate us from his love. So like Milashtan, this should be our final words. God is for us. And only then, only then when we, we sit in this beautiful truth to, to what Kenny's going to preach next week, but, but I'm going to read it to you now. Only when we sit in the reality that God is for us are we able to read these words with great confidence. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We know that. It'll be for our good because he loves us. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among brothers and sisters. Now hear this. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That that is how the story ends. Whatever you're going through, the, the, the end result of it is that it will be glorified. That God will use it for your good and for his glory. That we'll be able to look back and celebrate, to look back and go, hey, remember that time when I went through that fire? But God was good. Hey, remember that time in broken relationships? But God was good. Remember that time when we experienced injustice as a nation? But God was good. We know how the story ends, friends. 
And so we live in light of that ending. Your situation right now for those who are in Christ is not the end. And so I'm going to pray for us. But I want us to pause for a moment. The band will come up and they'll play a bit. They may even start singing a little bit and that's fine. But until they call us to stand and worship together, I want us to sit for a moment. Because what we often do is we hear words like this and then we, we, we quickly listen to the lies of the evil one. We, we allow him to draw us in and then we quickly forget what God has promised us. And that he's for us. And that he loves us. And so I'm going to pray. And as you're sitting there, I, I just, I want you to meet with God. For some of you, this might be the hundredth time. His hand of grace is still reached out to you. And that guilt and shame you're sitting in, that anger and bitterness you're sitting in, I want you to let it go. I want to just let it go. Because Jesus died for those things. But you might be sitting here, and you may be making this decision for the first time. Maybe you've been sitting on the fence for a couple of months, a couple of years. You just, you, you, you've heard all of this, but you've been journeying, and you're trying to figure out, God, are you truly the one? I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit really pulls you in. And that you will let go. Let go of fear. Let go of doubt. All these things that you're running to, hoping that you'll find life and meaning in, they will never be enough. They will never give you what God can give you. And so I'm going to pray. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sit so I'm seated with you. And, and I'm just going to ask you, if, if, if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling like, you know what, I... I want to hear from God. I feel disconnected. I, I feel like my life is moving at 200 kilometers per hour and I have no idea what's going on, whether it's your finances, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, whatever it is, I'm going to ask that you just stand. And I'm sitting because as I'm saying this, I'm standing. Because I feel like that. I look to this world and I look to this country and I'm like, God, I don't know. We're a small little church plant wanting to be gospel-centered, disciple-making, transcultural. We want to see you do something more incredible than we've ever imagined. I find myself caught up in that. And so I'm standing. And there's nothing magical about the standing, but but often sometimes we have to do something externally to, to allow our hearts to get there. And I'm going to ask for those folks sitting around those who are standing, if you would just just come around them. You can remain seated. That's totally fine. But if you feel comfortable enough to come around them and and just lay hands on them, I I want us to pray. And you don't have to have elaborate, fancy words. It might just be, God, I, I want this individual to know that God is for them. I have no idea what they're going through. I have no idea what keeps them up at night, but I want them to know that, God, you are for them. Then we'll pray, and and then the band will will lead us in song and in response to that. And so, Father, we come now asking that you would meet us where we are. 
There's something about this time of the year where it feels like things need to wrap up and things need to, to be closed off and, and the I's need to be dotted and the T's need to be crossed. And so often we find ourselves left behind. We find ourselves wondering, what, what's the next move? And so, Lord, I pray for those who are anxious, not sure about what tomorrow holds. And that might be because of financial realities. That might be because of, of sickness in the family. That might be because of a broken relationship that we're uncertain about. God, I ask that the Holy Spirit would give a peace that surpasses all understanding. That you would bring a comfort that is only found in the arms of our Father. Father, we need you. We desperately need you. And so would you come in this place? Would you meet us where we are? These are your children. Draw them closer to you. And let us be reminded of the, the parable of the prodigal son. That so often we make our way to you, Father, but with so many excuses and, and so many statements that we have in our minds that we're going to say to you, hoping that, that one of those will, will get you to take us in. But the reality is as we lift our eyes, we see the Father running towards us with his hands wide open. Let that be a reality in this place. And so we lift up our voices in prayer.